we had just purchased those homes over there in Georgia and we were like, what do we do next? How do, how do we do it? And we put the coaching program on a credit card. So it was 30,000, but we went through it together for 30,000. Oh. Mm-hmm. oh, really? They allowed that? Yes. That's pretty cool. Uh-huh. Yeah, man. But $30,000, like, yeah, <laughs> you must've had a lot of trust in this coaching program. Lots of trust. Looking at these these houses that needed full renovations and it just really was out of our comfort zone. We just didn't feel comfortable jumping in a real estate investment for our first time across the country with two kids under the age of two, both of us working full-time jobs. Like it just seemed like it wasn't, it wasn't going to fit. It was too stressful. And we ended up buying two brand new townhomes over in Atlanta, Georgia. They were four bedroom, two and a half bath. They, we purchased them for 140,000 each. And then we ended up selling them, I think, a year, exactly a year later, 18 months later for 180 each. Wow. What is up guys, Jason here. Welcome back to the channel and our series, Nurses to Riches, The Road to Fire. Today, we'll dive into the story of Savannah, a nurse who quit her full-time $150,000 per year nurse administrator job and aspirations to become a chief nursing officer and went all in on real estate. She and her husband now own a real estate syndication company where they find other healthcare professionals who want to invest in real estate but don't want to take on the hassle or risk of doing it alone. In under a few years, she and her husband have been able to put themselves in a position where her husband left his full-time job and she is working 24 hours per week as a nurse. But they are both generating at least $10,000 per month in real estate investment income. Savannah is known as the net worth nurse online and we're going to find out what her career path and income looked like as a nurse and how much she earns from her investments. Also, I want to apologize in advance for sounding like this. I'm actually sick, but I still wanted to make this call with Savannah because I felt like it was such an important topic. So Savannah, tell us where you're from and why you decided to become a nurse. Yeah, definitely. So I really, at a young age, knew I wanted to go into nursing. I loved caretaking. I was very compassionate, empathetic. And so was really drawn towards the nursing profession at a young age. And so really went right out of high school pursuing my nursing degree. Graduated in 2013 from Sacramento State University and started in a med surge oncology floor. And really even early on into my nursing career, I was gravitating towards process improvement initiatives and operations. I love different leadership opportunities. And so I really went, I went back to school pretty early on and got my master's degree in nursing leadership and administration. And I had my eyes set on becoming a CNO and started climbing the corporate ladder within a large healthcare organization down in Los Angeles, California. And it was really at the beginning of 2020, after having my second daughter, that priorities started shifting a little bit. I was looking, my husband and I were looking at our schedules. We were both working very demanding full-time jobs and just didn't have a lot of flexibility that we wanted to really be available and around for our daughter's lives growing up. And so that's when we started looking into alternative ways to build wealth and started educating ourselves on real estate investing. For obvious reasons, it's one of the best ways out there to grow wealth. And once we started learning about the opportunities there, we went all in. 
Now, you said you wanted to be a CNL from the get-go, though, right? Yeah. Did you work in corporate in any way before you became a nurse or before you started going to school for being for nursing? No, I didn't. I had oh. not. But I just really have always gravitated towards different leadership positions. And although I love patient care, I absolutely love it. I loved being able to provide resources to my nursing staff and my ancillary staff even more. Different ways to improve processing and give them the support, the caregivers, the support that they needed to do their jobs. So what kind of track did you have to take to get to the CNO level? Because you don't just you know, work as a bedside nurse and then all of a sudden become a CNO. How did that happen? Yeah, so slowly taking different leadership roles and initiative, whether it's certain things on your unit that you're volunteering for, like unit-based council, different committees that you can get involved in as a floor nurse. So those were things that I was doing really early on. And then I worked for a large healthcare organization, Providence, over here on the West Coast. And there was just a lot of different opportunities to move around within the healthcare system. And so it was really jumping out of my comfort zone and applying for some of those clinical supervisor positions, although I didn't have any leadership experience, formal leadership experience at that time. It was really networking and connecting with people to show my value in the space. And how did you come upon the position of the CNO in LA? When you were working where you said in like Northern California at the time? Yeah, so Southern California actually. I've since now moved up to Northern California. I'm up in Santa Rosa, but I lived the last seven years in Los Angeles, California. And it was really just climbing the ladder. So I started at a clinical supervisor position. I did that for three years. I oversaw a busy orthopedic practice in Los Angeles, California. We had 11 surgeons, four different offices. I had about 20 direct reports. That was in an ambulatory setting. And then did that for three years and then went back into the acute care setting in an assistant manager role overseeing cath lab, special procedures, GI lab, non-invasive cardiology. And then at that point through the COVID pandemic, there was opportunities to climb even further up the lines within the system I was with. But that was when I started investing in real estate and started to shift priorities to focus more on my business as opposed to working 40 plus hours a week building someone else's business. So can you walk us through what the compensation looked like from the moment you became a nurse to the moment you became a CNO? Yeah. So I started off in Modesto, California, working at a Sutter. I think I was making $38 an hour, close to like 80K um, coming right out. And then moved down to Los Angeles in my, when I moved into the clinical supervisor role, that was a 100K salary. And then even further up into my assistant manager role, that was about $150,000 in that last position that I was in. That's pretty decent, actually. So Can you tell us how many hours a week were you working in each of these positions? Yeah. So as a floor nurse, just the 12-hour shifts, 36 hours a week, but moving into the leadership supervisor roles, it's salary positioned. So they were Monday through Friday roles. Eight to five was when I was working as a clinical supervisor for an ambulatory practice. And that's because 
our office doors were open Monday through Friday, eight to five. And so needing to be there to oversee the clinical operations for the different offices there. And then when I moved back into acute care for an assistant manager role, I was working Monday through Friday, usually eight to five was my hours. But depending on what was going on, I would occasionally get calls and texts in evenings on the weekends for sure. Um, I mean, Monday morning, it would be at least four call-offs, right? So yeah, it was a lot of outside hour work as well. Now, as a CNO though, I, I'm, I would imagine you're getting more than just a few calls per day. Yeah, I never pers- I never made it all the way up to the CNO role. That was when I started moving into real estate investing and started focusing wow. on that primarily. So yeah, gave up that dream to pursue another. <laughs> and But okay, so you said you had your second child at that point when you decided to make that change? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, I, I know a lot of people say that they want the freedom to be able to spend time with their children because I'm in the same position now, right? Like my wife and I, it's funny because my wife and I used to travel a lot. And I remember when we would go on our vacations, I would tell her, listen, I think we should be investing our money instead because you never know what's going to happen in the future. If something happens to me, if something happens to you, we need to be able to support ourselves without each other being present, right? So then our son came along. We already have a daughter, but our son came along and that's when my wife's mentality changed. Like a light switch moment came and she was like, you know what? Maybe we should look at something else instead of our W2 jobs, which is why we're so focused on growing our brand and growing our business now. And, and she's, she's fully on board now. And I can relate to what happened with you because when you had your, your second child, you're like, this is not working anymore. I need time to spend with my kid. Like, I want to see them grow, right? And I'm sure that's probably what you were feeling at the moment. And it takes something like that in order for you to really make a change. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. For me, it was handing over both my daughters at three months old to my daycare provider um, so that I could go back to work full time in the hospital. I mean, three months old, they're so little. It was just really heartbreaking for me for the first baby and then have to do it again for the second one. I was just like, there's no way. I mean, I can't keep sacrificing these moments. It wasn't worth it. I it, That was my aha moment of we got to find other ways to start building wealth so that we weren't so dependent on our W-2 income. Because for me, it was, well, if I don't go to work, I'm not going to get any money. So now we've built up a real estate portfolio. So now we have all this other multiple streams of income coming in. So now we're not as dependent on that W-2 income anymore. So tell me, how did your experience with real estate first begin? Yeah, so really just uh, soaking up as much information as I could, primarily through podcasts, reading books, learning the language. It is a completely different language to learn when you're coming into it. And so podcasts were my favorite way, YouTube videos, because you start to just learn the language and listen to it, and it kind of sinks in through osmosis. And for me, it was hearing the stories of people who've been successful in real estate investing, doing all sorts of different strategies, coming from all all walks of life with all sort of backgrounds. And it really eliminates a lot of those 
beliefs that you you can kind of overcome and learn something new, especially as a nurse coming into it with no background, it can be really intimidating. The imposter syndrome is is huge. But so learning first, education was big. And then once we learned enough and got enough motivation, it was kind of taking the first step. And so my husband and I, we were both sold on real estate investing, but we didn't have any capital to start investing. Early on, talking to a really savvy mortgage broker, so someone who showed us that we had $100,000 worth of equity in our primary residence. I was so new to real estate investing at this time. I didn't even know what that was or what you could do with it. I didn't realize that you could take that money out on a second mortgage at a 4.5% interest rate, use it to invest in cash flowing real estate so that it pays off that interest and puts money back in your pocket every month. And so that's where the aha moment of cash flow came in and multiple streams of income. The more money that would be coming into our lives is the less time we would have to be spending at work. So the first step you took was obviously you consumed all this content about real estate investing, but then you spoke to a broker who educated you on the amount of equity that you have on your home and how much you could cash out refi, correct? Yes. Okay. And then after that, did you start looking at properties that you could purchase and rent them out in order to receive income from these properties so that they could pay out that second mortgage you took out basically on the cash out refine? Yeah, absolutely. So we started looking at the Burr method, which is buying a property usually below market value, renovating it, forcing appreciation into the deal, putting a renter into place, and then refinancing it to essentially pull all that capital that you just put back into the property out so that you can repeat, which is the last R, and then that's how you kind of scale a portfolio. So for us coming with a fixed amount of capital, that seemed like the best way to really kind of snowball our wealth. And so we started looking at houses across the country. We're in Los Angeles, California, so hard to make your money really stretch there. So we were looking at properties in Atlanta, Georgia, and it was looking at these these houses that needed full renovations. And it just really was out of our comfort zone. We just didn't feel comfortable jumping in a real estate investment for our first time across the country with two kids under the age of two, both of us working full-time jobs. Like it just seemed like it wasn't, it wasn't going to fit. It was too stressful. And so we ended up buying two turnkey properties over in Atlanta, Georgia. And then after we purchased those, we're like, okay, what's next? How can we continue to grow? And then that's when we started generating a lot of interest from friends and family interested in what we were doing in real estate investing and they wanted to partner with us. And we didn't even know this at the time, but that's exactly what real estate syndications is. It's people pooling together their resources. Some people uh, just putting up the capital and investing more passively with operators who want to take more control over the investment and and do the renovations and find the deal, get the financing and really flip it. And so real estate syndications became a huge opportunity for us to continue to scale our portfolio. And for me, it's been so fulfilling because now I get to provide investment opportunities to healthcare professionals who wouldn't otherwise get the opportunity to invest in real estate. So you were both working your jobs, your full-time jobs while you were investing in these two first properties that you purchased, correct? Correct. Okay. And how much did you put down on each of these homes 
And how much were the homes worth at the time? Yeah. So we took out that second mortgage. So we took out about 80,000 of that $100,000 that we had. So we put $40,000 down on each of these investment properties. We ended up buying two brand new townhomes over in Atlanta, Georgia. They were four bedroom, two and a half bath. They, we purchased them for 140000 each, and then we wow. ended up selling them, I think, a year, exactly a year later, 18 months later for 180 each. Wow. <laughs> no, so what you guys, you rent, I'm guessing you rented them out as soon as you purchased them, right? But were you cash flow positive when you rented them out? Yeah. So we rented them out to uh, long-term renters, the property management place. It was a build to rent project. So the builders actually Mm -hmm. implemented their property management company and they found the renters for it. So we were cash flowing like a couple hundred bucks a month on each property. But one of the properties at six months, we had a tenant turnover and they just, I mean, I don't know what happened with the paint in the unit, but they, it needed to be completely mm-hmm. repainted, which was like $5,000. So that completely wiped out all of our cash flow. And then that's really what kind of deterred us from single family homes. And now really why we focus on multifamily and commercial real estate and apartment complexes, because when you get up into the multiples, there's a lot more opportunity to scale. The overhead isn't as expensive. So there's a lot of ways as operators that you can really force appreciation into the deals by increasing the income of the building and decreasing the expenses to overall push the value. Yeah, it's like, I don't know if, I believe you know this guy, his name is David, if if I remember correctly. He's a pharmacist and I think Alex knows him. This pharmacist purchased over like 90 rental units over the last three years or so. And he told me that he used to have, or he still does have single family homes here in in the California region, but he started purchasing in the Midwest and like Southern, uh, like the Southern region of the United States. And what he did was he purchased like multifamily properties. And what he realized, and I'm guessing what you realized too, is that if you have a tenant that's vacant on a single family home, you have no income coming in. Yeah. But if you have one tenant that's not, that's vacant in a multifamily property, that's just one tenant out of the many tenants that you have. So you still have income coming in. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So you ended up selling your two properties in Atlanta, Georgia, right? Yeah. In a year, like 18 months. Mm-hmm. Then what did you do with the money? Yeah. So then we took that money and used it to help buy another multifamily building. So now we own we own five apartment complexes and a storage facility. We've purchased those over the last few years. They're all up in Oregon. Our storage facility is down in Arizona. In total for these buildings, we've raised over $4.5 million from healthcare professionals to go out mm-hmm. and purchase them. And a lot of that money goes towards the down payment and renovation and operating reserves repair budgets. But we also, as the sponsors on the deal, the general partners, we put a good chunk of our own capital in each of these investments. I see. So, okay. So I'm imagining here, uh, you sell your properties in Atlanta, Georgia, and you profited about $40,000 per property. Mm -hmm. Correct. Something like that. So then you took the $80,000 that you generated from selling these two homes and you took that and you added to that an initial or extra capital that you garnered from like other investors, right? Like healthcare workers mm-hmm. to buy property in Oregon. Yep, exactly. And, and in Arizona. Okay. How did you even 
learn about this. Like, I know you said that there's a, there were a lot of family members and healthcare workers that were interested in investing with you, mm -hmm. but there's some, you have to learn the steps, right? How did you learn these steps? Yeah. So we invested heavily in a coaching program to learn how to do multifamily syndication. So we spent 30,000 to go through one of these coaching programs. I mean, that's more than my master's degree in nursing, but for us, it was very worth it because we were going to be raising capital from our friends and family. And there's a lot of legalities that go into buying these asset classes as, as a group, as a syndication with the PPM and an LLC. And so we, invested in a coaching program because we wanted to make sure that we were doing everything the right way by the book with people looking over our shoulders who have decades, years of experience investing in multifamily real estate. And so that was really what we did early on as we made the transition from the single family homes that we had purchased over into the multifamily. The coaching program was really pivotal in, in that track. And then once we did that, it was creating a brand. That's when I launched Net Worth Nurse to really have the opportunity and platform to connect with other healthcare professionals who are interested in investing in real estate, but not necessarily wanting to do all the work. They don't want to go find the property and get the financing and uh, do all their repairs and renovations, but they still see how lucrative real estate investing can be. And they still want to participate in the tax benefits that it has to offer and appreciation. And real estate just performs so well throughout different economic turmoils, right? I mean, even the COVID pandemic proved that all of our buildings have been performing very well throughout that. I mean, there's been different things that we've had to deal with for evictions and, and vacancies in, the, in that respect. But overall, multifamily real estate is one of the first asset classes to bounce back after certain economic downturns. So did you invest in that course before you sold your homes in Atlanta, Georgia or after? We invested in the course before because we had just purchased those homes over there in Georgia and we were like, what do we do next? How do, how do we do it? And we mm -hmm. put the coaching program on a credit card and just started learning and growing and putting it to work. How did you find out about this coaching program? Uh, just online and co connecting, networking with different people, a lot of Googling and researching, that type of stuff. Now, was it $30,000 for one person or $15,000 for two and you and your husband went. So it was 30,000, but we went through it together for 30,000. Oh. Mm -hmm. oh, really? They allowed that? Yes. That's pretty cool. Uh -huh. yep. Yeah. Man, but $30,000, like, yeah. You must have had a lot of trust in this coaching program. Lots of trust. But, but I mean, the number, there's so much risk that is mitigated in real estate investing. I mean, that real estate is so. It's, it's based on numbers. And when you look at the numbers and you can see if we do the, and you can have so much more control over your investments in real estate. It's so funny because I talk to a lot of healthcare professionals who think real estate investing is risky, yet they have the majority of their retirement put away in these stock in the stock market, which is literally a roller coaster. I mean, and just to see the corruption that's been on Wall Street over the last, I mean, how many years, it's just, 
crazy to think that some people think that is less risky and than real estate when in real estate there's so much risk that you can mitigate by proper market analysis i mean analyzing a market and seeing what's going on there in terms of vacancy trends inflation what does employment look like job growth like what what are rents how are they growing what are expenses on a building when we go and look at an apartment building and we do strong value adds so usually we're finding like the the hidden diamond in the rough right like something that's been mismanaged, it's not been taken care of. And that's where the opportunity is for us to come in and purchase it from owners who maybe it's been in the family for decades, or it's just sitting on the back burner. They don't want to replace the roofs and the windows. They don't want to flip the units. And we see the opportunity here because we want to do that. And we can create so much value for ourselves and our investors by doing that. And when you look at a building, you get their last T12. So you can see the trailing 12 months, their P&Ls, profit and loss statements, how this building has been operating historically over the last, I mean, you can get it three years back. You can see exactly how it's been operating and you can come in and look at it and see where the opportunity is. How do you go and you increase that income and decrease expenses? There's a lot of different ways that you can do that in real estate investing. For example, our 24 unit that we bought up in Oregon, the water bill was out of control. We went and looked at the building, did the inspection. We're looking in all the units like faucets are just draining shower heads we go in there and we implement a complete water conservation program which the state of oregon rewards landlords with the majority of the materials to do it so they gave us aerators for shower heads and for faucets we go in there implement those we also did water conserving toilets which isn't given to you by the state of oregon but implementing all that and then you can drastically decrease the water bill and now because you're adding value to the building and to the tenants now we're able to increase rents up to market value and so there's huge opportunity to force appreciation in these deals so how were you able to manage all of that, being that you lived in LA or Southern California at the time? Yeah, we were grinding for sure, working full-time jobs. I mean, I was taking calls with investors on my lunch. We were talking to property managers and contractors, I mean, really whenever we could. And then building the business, it was every night after our daughters went to bed at eight o'clock, my husband and I sitting in the office and grinding on it until like midnight, every night for like a couple years on top of full-time jobs. But now fast track to three years later, my husband's out of his full-time job. He does real estate full-time. I mean, he's not working 40 hours a week on it. I'm out of the hospital full-time. I don't have my full-time administrator job anymore. I work part-time in the hospital now, two days a week, and I build this business full-time. So although it was a lot of extra hours initially, we saw the reward. We knew what type of returns this could do for us and our family and really how we stayed focused and how we continued to maintain momentum was just really getting specific with our goals. We were very clear on our vision and where we wanted to be. And it was sitting down in 2020 and looking at like five years, where do we want to be? What type of relationships do we want to have? What type of business do we want to be doing? How much money do we want to be coming in on a monthly basis from our real estate investments? Like, what does that look like? Okay. If that's how much money we want to be coming in, like how many deals do we need to have 
to make that work? How many apartment complexes? How many capital do we need to raise? And then you really kind of backtrack and it lays out exactly what steps you need to take to get there. Okay, so this is great, but I want to know now, at what point did you decide to have your husband quit his job <laughs> and you go part-time? Because that's not an easy decision to make. No, it wasn't. A lot of different factors for us, and it's it's a very like personalized, I think, journey for each person. But for us, we were living in Los Angeles, California. We lived there for seven years. We were in we were outgrowing our home. We were in a, a house in the San Fernando Valley, and I, we were just ready to get out. But because we were out of our focusing on getting out of our W two jobs, we didn't qualify to be able to purchase a larger home. Our we and so it created this kind of struggle of we wanted to move, but we couldn't because we couldn't qualify for a loan. So how do we do that? And this is when we leveraged real estate again. It's so amazing. But we ended up turning our primary residence into a, a midterm rental. So we have a three bedroom, three bath townhome in LA, and we were able to split up each room and we're renting out each room for $2,000 a month. Um, Our mortgage on the house is 2,400. And then we have that second mortgage on the house that I mentioned mentioned earlier to buy those homes over in Atlanta. So that was like 350. Yeah. So all in like expenses yeah. are about $3,000 for our house there. And so we're cash flowing about $3,000 a month. And so we're using that money to live somewhere else rent free. I mean, we're, we're renting up here in Santa Rosa, California. And so for me with nursing and why nursing is such an amazing profession, it's pretty easy to really transfer anywhere you want. And so for me, it's very easy to go back to part-time and only have to work 24 hours a week, but still get full benefits. And I get amazing benefits. I mean, health, dental, you get HSA, childcare, all that stuff. It's so important, especially for us as we have a young family. And so for us, it was kind of a lot of those different factors factors that were weighing in on it. And with that, we moved my husband out of his full-time job. I went back part-time. We relocated up to Northern California to kind of shift some of our bills. And that's how we made it work. How did you find these tenants that were willing to pay you $2,400 a month? each. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Airbnb, I have my property listed on Airbnb and furnished finder. So I have a lot of travel nurses that are coming. And um, mm-hmm. right now in California, it is cheaper to rent than it is to buy. Yeah. And so a lot of people can't buy and they need somewhere to stay. There's tons of travelers, especially with the COVID pandemic, just heightening remote work as well. There's a lot of people that are working from home. And so renting room by room is very feasible in Los Angeles, California. I've really haven't had any vacancies and I've had a lot of good nurses go through there. Did you have to do any renovations to the home in order to get it, you know, rented? Yeah, we did. So we painted the whole house and then we had to furnish a good chunk of that because uh, we were split. We needed some of our furnishings to come over with us to our new house, but then we also had to completely furnish that house. And so we bought kind of some new stuff, left half of our other stuff, um, but all in we spent about $10,000 with the paint and all a bunch of new furniture, like three queen beds, a couple new TVs. So that was kind of our all in budget on that. So was your goal to do midterm rentals or did you 
consider short-term rentals as well at one point. So we did consider short-term rentals, but we have an HOA at our home. And so nothing, we can't um, have anything shorter than a 30-day minimum stay, which honestly ended up working out so much better because there's less turnover that you're spending as an owner, less cleaning fees. When people are there longer, it's like they're taking better care of it, whereas opposed to a short-term rental, they're only there for a week and they don't really care. And so the longevity of the tenants that we have in there, although they're not long-term tenants, it's really the perfect fit with a midterm rental. And are you often, do you have vacancies often or are you like fully rented throughout the year? Yeah, really no vacancies. Um, the cool thing about Airbnb wow. too is they their technology is so amazing that you can kind of tweak your nightly stays so that it's based on demand. So there's different opportunities mm-hmm. there to that you can use to prevent yourself from having any vacancies. But I'm I'm pretty vigilant on there. And so I'm always even on Furnish Finder too, if I'm seeing a tenant that's going to be moving out looking to see if there's any other options for people to move in. So I'm always looking ahead. Cool. So now I want to focus on the, the real estate syndication for people who want to invest in real estate, they don't want to do it themselves. Walk me through what the process would be of someone who's interested in investing money with you. You know, what would a return kind of look like? I mean, the return might be different for every property that you look at, Mm -hmm. right? But what is a typical return for your investors? Yeah. So for our investors, we're looking to get them 100% ROI on their investment. So our hold for our buildings are usually five to seven years. Um, That's how long it takes us to really kind of flip the building is what we're doing with these apartment complexes. So for an investor who our typical investments, $50,000 are starting investment. So if they're investing $50,000 with us, our goal is to get them that $50,000 back plus another. $50,000 on top of that throughout the lifetime of the investment. So on average, we're earning anywhere between 15 to 20% averaged annualized returns. So this is the number that you'd want to compare to the stock market, which historically does about six to 7%. So I always highlight for healthcare professionals, it's a great way to diversify your portfolio. And there's lots of different ways you can invest with old retirement accounts. And so it's just a different way that you could grow your wealth at a lot faster rate than you could in the stock market. So 100% ROI, 15 to 20% average annualized return. And then our cash flow is anywhere between like 7 to 10%. That's our cash flow. And our investors invest with us when we go out and we look for a building. Once we find one, we do a presentation. We do a 30-minute deep dive into the market, why we love the market. We show all of our numbers, we show projected returns for our investors, and then kind of a timeline. And then at that point, our investors choose to invest with us and then they get all the legal documents. It's about 100 pages of legal documents. It's pretty dense, but we purchase all of our properties in an LLC. And then every investor who invests with us, they own a percentage of that LLC, depending on how much capital they're investing. So they're part ownership in the building, which is so cool, um, even as a passive investor, to be able to jump in on these. They still get to participate in huge tax benefits as well. And then also the appreciation that we see in the real estate deals. So do you have like a list of properties that are just waiting for investors or are you 
first finding the investors and then looking for the property. So both, both at the same time, always. I'm always taking calls with investors, connecting with other healthcare professionals who are interested in these type of investment strategies. To date, we've done around two to three deals a year. They are heavy lifts. They take about 90 days at minimum to close, sometimes longer than that, especially during the pandemic. Things were kind of drawn out a little bit longer. But so yeah, we do a couple a year. So usually um, if I am, have investors who hit me up in the in-between time, we kind of put them in an investor list or an investor like standby pool. And then I always keep in constant communication with them, provide them any educational resources or additional information that they want. But we give them access to our portal. So we have an investor portal where people can come and take a look at our current investments and how those are doing, and then also have opportunity to see future investments as well. I see. And when you're raising capital from all these healthcare investors or healthcare professionals that want to invest in your properties, are you investing, are you using all of the money from the investments to, you know, to purchase these properties? Or are you also getting a mortgage in addition to the money that you're raising for from the capital? Yeah. So we're always getting financing on these deals. Leveraging debt is a huge, huge opportunity in real estate. Mm -hmm. Really not even in a lot of other countries. Do you have the opportunity to go out and buy a million dollar property with only $250,000 down? I mean, that's mm -hmm. really unheard of in other places. So huge opportunity to leverage debt from large financial institutions. I mean, they're putting the majority of the capital up front for these investments, which is huge. So the capital that we raise for investors, the majority of it goes towards the down payment and then renovation budget because we do do strong value adds. So pretty big renovations in all our projects. And then we do like an operating reserve. So that's where all the capital goes when we go to purchase these buildings. So how much have you generated from the property in Oregon and in Arizona so far? Yeah, so um, they're, they're all doing great. We're just getting started to exit on our second building that we bought. I just made an announcement yesterday, actually. We're going to be selling our 24-unit building that we bought um, up in Oregon. We were, so we do a pro forma for investors and it's very conservative underwriting. We expect to raise rents about 5% each year because of the way inflation's gone. And we've had so many turnovers in the buildings that we are achieving our year five projections at year two. So we're now in a position wow. where we're going to be selling this building a lot earlier than anticipated because we've already achieved all the value there. So that one, wow. we're actually looking to get our investors like 26% average annualized return. It's going to be um, a huge, huge win for our investors. Now, are you seeing, is it harder for you to, because you just said that you guys are getting such a high return on this, but is it harder now with the high interest rates than it was, you know, just two, three years ago. Yeah, I mean, we'll definitely go, we'll see when we go to sell this building. I mean, it'll be our first sell. But I mean, just being so heavy in the real estate industry over the last few years, there's so much opportunity. I mean, where one person might think something might not work, there's five other people who are willing to jump on it. And so there's a lot of different, mm -hmm. I mean, the people that I've seen be mo most successful in the real estate space, and I watch a lot of influencers and follow 
follow a lot of people on social media. I mean, the people that are the most successful are the ones that are willing to be the most creative. So, you know, the ones that don't take no for an answer. And if they do receive that answer, thinking of alternative ways to still achieve the goal. So um, I think there is like a lot of uncertainty for sure in the real estate market with high interest rates, but I still think it's a very, very strong asset class and a huge investment that we're all in on. You know, so for people that are tuning in right now, you know, Savannah and I, we actually had this discussion maybe like two months ago or so, and the call was not recorded the entire <laughs> time that we were doing this. So, but I remember you told me how much you were making per month from your real estate income. Can you just re let the audience know how much you're making per month? Yeah. So we've hit our $10,000 a month in real estate income. I think for this last month, we were at 15000 That's because we got some early payments on our midterm rental in LA. And so we hit 15000 for the month of September. We just went over those numbers this week. But yeah, that's, that's what we're collecting each month now in real estate. And what is your goal, your income goal per month, uh, let's say in the next three years? Yeah. Oh man, that's such a good question. I think our five-year goal when we originally sat down was to have 30K a month in real estate investing. Um, I mean, we sh shot for the stars for sure, but we're working on a lot of different things now. I mean, we're still building real estate, but I'm also building a startup financial wellness platform for healthcare professionals, Invest Health. That's really been my huge, huge focus over the last year or so. But real estate has provided so much freedom in our lives and it's now really allowing me the ability to fund my startup. So yeah, lots of opportunity there. Are you earning any income from your influential, the influential side of your business, like social media? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's tons of different ways to earn money from a brand, whether it's like referral agreements, I've been I've done promotional posts with different scrub companies and different products to feature their products that I use and love and I can get a, a commission off that. So that one way I've monetized it. I have a couple of courses. I have a personal finance course and a real estate investing course geared towards healthcare professionals that are green, evergreen. So making income from those as well. And yeah, different referral commissions. I've, I've made it a point to really network in the community. Like I love collaborating with other healthcare professionals. And so even early on when I launched my brand, I made it an effort to just have calls and connect with other nurses in the space, nurses with platforms and are out doing good for the nursing community. And so a lot of those relationships have turned into business opportunities, whether through different referral agreements or introductions or partnerships. Um, there's been a lot of opportunity there as well. And how do you find your customers right now or do they find you? How, how does that happen? Social media has really been my, the biggest thing. I mean, I'm, I'm all in on that. I really went big on Instagram. That's really my favorite. I think in 2021 or 22, I made it a goal to do like 30 reels in 30 days and grew my following, yeah. I think like 5,000 followers in, in a few months. So that was back during the pandemic when everyone was sitting around hanging out on their phone. Yeah. Definitely not as much engagement now as there was um, yeah. back then. But yeah, it's really just adding value, creating content. I do a ton of blogs, webinars, meetups, uh, recording podcasts is one of my favorite things just because that's what gave me motivation when I started. And so I just... Yeah continue to record those to hopefully inspire and motivate anyone else to get started in real estate investing. But social media is really my, my biggest.
You know what? I think you should give TikTok more attention than you currently do because my TikTok following grew from let's I think at one point I had like 300 subscribers and then I actually started posting because I I was just like posting nonsense but then I started posting stuff that was relatable to my viewers and when I did that I I think I only posted one video per day for like two weeks mm -hmm. it was just two weeks and my subscriber count or follower count went from 300 to like 7000 wow. in two weeks wow yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and then I stopped posting I mean I really I'm I'm going getting back into it and I'm at 9,200 right now, but you know, it's just, it's very powerful and you can reach a lot of people that are interested in your content. That's so funny because I, TikTok's definitely not, I mean, I don't hang out there too often, but since yeah. I've moved to this hospital, I've had a couple of nurses that I work yeah. with that are like, are you that Savannah that's on TikTok? Is that you net worth nurse? And I, it's made yeah. me, th even my manager came to me and said that. And I was like, wow, a lot of nurses hang out on TikTok. Yeah. I should probably be focusing on that a little more. Let me tell you, the algorithm is so good at finding the perfect viewer for your videos. Oh. It is very good at doing that. So like if you, you know, you just got to talk about what you do and what you provide to healthcare workers and the algorithm will find the right people <laughs> for you. Trust me. Love it. I'll have to give it a shot. Yeah. Cool. So, all right. So you mentioned it earlier, but how can my viewers find you if they're interested in your content or if they're interested in investing with you? Yeah, I social media. So you can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok. So net worth nurse is my handle on all those the net worth nurse on Instagram. My website is networthnurse.co. I have a ton of information on there and I love chatting with healthcare professionals. If it's whether you want to invest in one of our deals, if I can help you get started in your own investment, if you're just looking for a sounding wall, like I love chatting real estate with healthcare professionals. So yeah, if you're remotely interested in anything I'm chatting about, please reach out. I'd love to chat. If you guys enjoyed this video and you want to see more like it, make sure you click on this playlist here and you like, comment, and subscribe to our channel.